Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to a brand new episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, and talk about them both. Today is the start of a new pair, so we have our mainstream film up first. It is going to be Underwater from 2020, starring... Uh, uh, Chris, my brain, Kristen Stewart, uh, most famed for Twilight, but we'll talk about that. And directed by William Eubank and written by Brian Duffield and Adam Kozad, who we'll also talk about. This is uh, a movie I really enjoyed that kind of I wasn't expecting anything from uh, back when I saw it in theaters in 2020. It's rated PG 13, but it's one of those where I feel like that's a natural rating. And then, and by that, I mean it wasn't forced, nothing felt cut to make it. It just, it seems like a movie that didn't need um, the R rating. So that's interesting. We have with us today, of course, myself, film critic and comedian Nate Wyckoff. And then we also have Jeff Tucker. How you doing, Jeff? Woo! So ready. You know, oh, you fear he's... going into those mines. The dwarves dug too greedily and too deep. You know what they <laughs> awoke in the darkness of Kazakh Doom. Ah, oh, man, I cannot wait to start reviewing Lord of the Rings. Let's do this. this is... I'm here for so... this. We're, I can tell you straight up, this review and analysis of Underwater will just be just riddled with references to other lore and other things. It is very, very uh, paralleled to many things. Yeah, we no, also, yeah, don't don't worry. I didn't watch Lord of the Rings. I watched 1986 Aliens. I'm all, I watched the right movie. <laughs> that is that is that is very accurate um and uh uh yeah we will talk about that as well mandy longley is also with us how are you doing mandy i am doing well uh trying to stick with the theme of underwater by just having no camera on and just black screen that's right uh everyone everyone except for me i've got the <laughs> lights on and I'm, I'm searching the darkness uh watch this of course most of you all <laughs> listen to this podcast but we will uh have it available on youtube on our channel as well as soon as i get the uh backlog cleared but it's great and you can see my smiling face and everybody else can just get uh whispers from the dark so underwater 2020 i really enjoyed this movie that said it's a very fascinating movie to to talk about because it wears its inspirations totally on its sleeve uh, kind of literally in a couple of cases uh, and there's a lot to talk about so Kristen Stewart is not an actress that I found myself loving when she first came on the scene. In fact, Twilight, as most of us know, even, even those people who enjoyed the books and have some sort of affinity for the films recognize that they're really terrible. Um, the movies in particular, I have not read the books, I cannot speak to it, but the movies are so vilely written and directed. I, I use that term because to me, vile means like just intentionally lacking the things that make it pleasant and twilight has bad dialogue questionable visual decisions um bad directing towards the actors the actors including kristen stewart probably most most dramatically with kristen stewart where it's like they went out of their way to have the cast react in ways that are 
grating on the audience and very difficult to to muddle through and just really bad um they there was of course there have been many spoofs of twilight uh most of which feet like vampires suck uh chris cedar's taint light etc uh where a big part of the humor comes from people mimicking kristen stewart's weird facial tics and i feel for her as an actor in twilight doing those ticks because so much time is dedicated to just the camera on her face while she's staring in silence that you uh you have to fill that with something dynamic and it ends up becoming it's, it's so repeated that it ends up looking like facial ticks in that so anyway i was not impressed i did not i did not enjoy the performances in those films um and 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 i didn't really follow kristen stewart thereafter um until this film at which point she had uh you know uh was much more open about um not even open she's much more comfortable it seemed with her physicality her sexuality all these things you know time had passed uh and and the the heavy scrutiny of uh fandom had moved on from twilight and i think it shows i think her performance in this um as jeff said very inspired by a uh, sigourney weaver's ridley character in alien it it it's worlds away from from twilight uh it is it is a nuanced it's fairly consistent it includes a huge amount of as i said physicality she is running falling doing all of these things um carrying heavy suits throughout the movie and she really does i think carry the movie as the lead character nora so what's this movie about well, as you can imagine, it takes place underwater. And I'm just going to say it here. This pair we like to call wet underpants. Wet underpants, because both of these movies feature wet underpants. So underwater takes place uh, in sort of a Sea Lab 2020, 2021 kind of a thing where they're about six miles to seven miles under the ocean surface uh, drilling. So they're at a big underwater drilling facility. We get a uh, sort of a little bit of backstory in the opening credits and the ending credits with uh, newspaper clippings and things, or, or rather, I guess, probably at this time that just not newspapers, but just feed clips. Um, but we so we're told that it's it's supposed to be about 2050. Uh, and so it's it's the near future. And we're drilling for they never say specifically what they're drilling for, but we can assume what oil, gas, precious minerals, et cetera, metals, et cetera, the ocean floor. Now we know also that this particular lab is this, this Titan class uh, drill site is the second in a relatively close area. The first had um, unclear circumstances that caused to its abandonment, the shepherd site. So we know that there's some mystery about this place, but we get the opening that just has a tiny, tiny bit, like maybe a minute and a minute and a half of, of narration by Kristen Stewart as she brushes her teeth uh, and saves a daddy long leg spider from a sink before all hell breaks loose and pressure uh, starts to give, uh, starts to collapse their area. And basically the movie from that point on is a mad dash through uh, deep sea, underwater diving equipment and collapsing building structures implosions uh to try and get to escape pods um so in that way and visually so we get to jeffrey's point where it's clearly very alien inspired there's lots of corridors very utilitarian corridors um and uh, we have our cast stumbling running racing fighting through these corridors to get to their escape this the movie also takes and again this is a spoiler podcast because we talk about all aspects of the film so if you haven't seen this and you're intrigued by this no one it's a monster movie as well and two it is going to be you're going to learn what happens here uh, i don't think it's going to ruin the film but you're going to you're going to learn so if you want to watch it first pause this go back watch it then jump back in so i'll give you the count of three one two three Spoiler alert, it's also a monster movie. There is a giant subterranean creature with lots of little creatures living on it, all a clover field. Okay. Yet another, yet another parallel, yes, Cthulhu um, in this movie. And that is what's causing these deep sea tremors and, and other things that are destroying this facility. So we get to the end 
there are only three people left, Nora and uh, a, a couple that uh, a research assistant and another man who's part of the ship. I can't remember exactly what he's, a, he's, I think, a, a communications expert uh, and they are in love and there are three escape pods, but one of them is broken. So Nora's character gets the other two on the escape pod, sends them up, then realizes the creatures are going after the pods. Shifsi forces the the I assume some sort of fission nuclear core to go kaboom and errat presumably actually we know because of the end credit clips um that the two people survive uh so she sacrifices herself there's a lot of other elements in this movie and I really enjoyed the way they're introduced it's relatively organically I didn't feel like except for that bit at the beginning with the newspaper clippings and the end which are really ancillary they're not I didn't mind being sort of fed that exposition because it didn't really matter. It's just background color, right? I was, I was a little annoyed by it personally. It, it, I just, I was stepping in just because it yeah. was so lazy and they didn't, I, they it's didn't not necessary. Really, it's not necessary. It's lazy. They didn't do like a good job of it. Like even the content that they did have in them didn't yeah. actually like, it didn't really bring us anywhere. It didn't, it so, didn't take us to a place where you're like, Oh, I feel like, this corporation was being, you know, uh, reckless. Like it's, it's well, kind of like you, you can't, you can't expect a company to like in Iowa to plan for a tsunami. Like you don't plan for like so, so a monster to be released. There's more, It'll, there's more to this. Uh, I will say I 100% agree with you about the laziness, but there is, I do know why they did it. And I think it's perhaps the only weakness that could also be a strength. We'll talk about it because I do want to get to that. But I agree. Oh, okay. well, we'll, My we'll first come back to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I and, think and I know I'll, where you're going with this. And I'll yeah, and I'll <laughs> say this. I it's one of those things I didn't remember that um from when I watched it, which tells you, right, that it's not necessary for the film. No, um absolutely. And 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 I agree. And the and I will say before we jump into what you guys uh thought on this watch, uh, the other thing that bugged me, and it goes away fairly quickly, but the shaky cam in the beginning. It's it's off-putting. Shaky cam is one of those things, and I'm talking about the handy cam, like vibration, whatever. We know we're going to get it because it's whether it's undersea or in space, it's the same thing, right? It's a ship of some kind or a container that people are inside that's getting jostled around. We know we're gonna get that kind of shaky cam, but it just feels it felt too too cheap and too abrupt early on. And then actually, as things get more hectic, it goes away. Which is interesting. Like by the end of the movie, there is no shaky cam, uh, and and I think that that's an indicator we probably didn't need it. Um, but also, it, it's so brief that I found myself irritated by it in the first maybe five minutes, um, and after that, it was just a, it was a non-issue with me. Um, but it did it does it did force me to have like a acclimation period with the with the movie before I could fully invest myself and i do remember that from the theater as well and last point before we move to you guys uh this movie also i think greatly benefited from a theater watch because it is claustrophobic very but also very grand and the undersea scenes are quite fascinating but let's jump to, to you jeff uh what was your expectation i know you don't usually have any for good or bad but what were you thinking uh when you heard we were doing a movie called underwater and what did you get once you saw it well, if anybody's listened to this before, they probably know I'm not a big horror <laughs> fan. Um, so normally, if it has like a horror in it, I'm uh, I'm setting my expectations pretty low. Um, but I think that this, you know, even though it does have like jump scares and like does like a lot of the the kind of the horror elements, it felt a, like not like the the amount of this that was uh, horror is pretty low. It was more like a sci-fi thriller almost or something. Yeah, it I I yeah, I think so. Um and um so you know like if it if it's just if it's just driving on those like those jump scares and like those kind of making trying to make people feel uncomfortable or grossed out or anything those things just mm -hmm. don't do anything for me. Um yeah. but I think I like I, I do love a good thrill. Um so mm -hmm. like the the kind of the thrilling elements um and and I and I also love good filmmaking. Um, and I think that, um, you know, like where I wouldn't I wouldn't call this a masterpiece, but they did a really good job of uh, setting uh, like 
you know, portraying their setting um, mm. and then really like being pretty consistent throughout with like, you know, like the water noise and like just like all the ambient elements to make it really feel. Um, uh, and I could imagine it would be even better in a, a theater. It really yeah. felt. Um, the sound is very effective in it as well. Yeah, it really brought you into this kind of world with them. Um, so I thought um, the movie was overall quite good because of that, uh, because mm -hmm. they were able to draw me in and give me a little bit of a thrill. Um, and uh, so, uh, so I'll, you know, I, I'll say that it, it definitely exceeded my expectations. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm interested to come back to that conversation about. Sure. The sure. corporation stuff yeah because i do think it's 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 something that we'll get to it uh we're going to talk about it in a minute and i think and the reason i want to hold off is because it does open a whole other can of worms for discussion on content uh but mandy what were your expectations with underwater 2020 and what what did you what do you feel now that you've seen it gosh uh i was i mean not to dump on Kristen Stewart at all, but I was like bracing myself for another like terrible experience, uh, which was the all of five minutes of spoofs that I have watched on Twilight. <laughs> it, Twilight's really bad. I mean, it, I, just for anyone who hasn't seen it, you're not really understanding. It's it's a it's a what you watch. You watch the first maybe 20 minutes of, of the first Twilight film and it's actually shocking how incomprehensibly ridiculous it is on every level but anyway continue anyway yeah um I, i've much enjoyed like the bad lip readings from clips of that movie but you know not it's the most bestest creation movie. yeah if you know you know <laughs> you know you know um so yeah anyway i thought that i was you know just specifically not like a christian uh christian stewart fan and i was like oh gosh is it gonna be oh she's the main character she was awesome I know. I she agree. was so good. Um, and they made her not like just like, oh, she's like the secretary of the undersea. She's you a mechanical know, engineer, engineer, like somebody else I mean, on this podcast. Maybe I was a little biased going into this, <laughs> like as soon as they told us what her job was. But in general, um, I thought that they like actually did that good justice like they didn't make her be able to do everything magically like she's like oh right. no like this is i can reset it like i'm not in she didn't macgyver person, you know? yeah she didn't macgyver yeah. anything into a space cannon or yeah. you know like for a no second ridiculous. i thought for a second i thought that they were gonna have her like rebuild her suit in like 30 minutes but like yeah. they didn't they had her like read some plans for like like the map of like where stuff was and i was like mm -hmm. oh that's actually realistic for the amount of time that she had and, like what she was doing uh yeah like it i'm like this all checks out it's like makes sense this is really good um and i actually really enjoyed like her relationship with like the captain um yes who the, you find very... like out more and more why he might be such a father figure to her at least from his mm -hmm. direction um if not how she saw him exactly but i thought that that was like a nice little ad like they definitely didn't have to do that in a thriller like in a nope. sci-fi like they definitely didn't have to do that and they made it like not overly cloying like it just mm. felt like pretty like a genuine little human touch to like the characters to make you care about them a little bit more and what they were going through mm -hmm. um but yeah i really like the sets i felt that they were believable they didn't overdo the monsters it was very much like cloverfield like you mentioned like you get mm -hmm. glimpses of them but they're not like overly cgi'd um yeah. like in your face ridiculous uh it, it they show you enough and kind of leave you wanting more and that's really nice yeah, and of course the the captain is played by uh, amazing actor Vincent Castle, a, a yep. French, a, an excellent French actor who's been in everything from. Oh boy, I believe he was he. You know, I think one of the most memorable roles for me was probably in um, David Cronenberg's Fall to History of Violence. Um, uh, why am I blanking on that? Anyway, it, very very good actor, very recognizable. Even if you don't recognize his name, as soon as you see his face, you'll know who he is. Um, but he he does, and and it, an interesting thing that draws them together unintentionally, right? Is Kristen Stewart? It's it's funny because these people are underwater, very deep, right? So most people, much like, um, and this is of course a generalization, but like a lot of people who do the the dangerous fishing boats in Alaska or or move to Alaska in general to these relatively remote places for these jobs that are 
not comfort comfort jobs, right? They're not, they don't elicit a lot of, of nice uh, homey feelings is people who have some sort of past that not necessarily running from, but they, they don't, it's almost like a, you don't have a lot to sort of live for. And we find out as the movie goes on fairly late in the movie, actually, although we get little hints um, that Kristen Stewart's uh, fiance died unexpectedly. And, and so it, she doesn't seem that torn apart about being underwater for her job and sort of out of humanity. And then Vincent Castle, uh, she knows that he has a, a daughter. And then we learn that his daughter actually is dead uh and and has been dead for a long time which sort of explains his willingness to go down with the ship in a way like it's not like he's seeking it but he's at peace with it until other people arrive and then he's like oh i will help these people but he you know when we first see him yes he's stuck in a room so he needed help to get out but it didn't feel as though he really had a lot of drive to get out on his own until he saw there were other people that needed help so his character yeah, he was like pretty catatonic kind of yeah we and it's like a 180 right as soon as other people are there his his people that he can help it's different and we get we get a lot of touches on the characters like that that come bit by bit it doesn't mean we don't have some of the stereotypes in a, in a movie like this right in the disaster movie you have the person who's breaking down early right you have the person who is sort of like in this case, T.J. Miller's character, who he plays another T.J. Miller character, where mm -hmm. uh, he's sort of um, funny, caustic, uh, cavalier, right? Uh, and and it's yeah. and then you have the person in the middle who's sort of the stand-in for the audience, what we would hope to be, right? The character of Nora, who's very selfless but also very strong and courageous, mm -hmm. um, is is human, shows a lot of fear. We clearly see in the beginning that she's suffering from shock, right? She's shaking, her pupils are dilated, but she continues on and pulls it and does she's never calm in like a safe way until the very end of the film when she sacrifices herself uh mm -hmm. which i think is an interesting touch but she's never uh she never allows uh hopelessness to take over for her um so anyway interesting we the movie is very tense and it just does a great job of this. As, as Jeff and Mandy both said, the design seems very good. The claustrophobia. I loved the deep sea diving elements because there's this big sections where they have to put on these heavy diving suits, which are a little futuristic looking, but I thought still looked, I thought it was the lighting and direction. It's a testament to those because the suits are cool, but you could have taken those same suits and put them in like a Jerry Bruckheimer movie and they would have been straight up sci-fi. But in this environment, it didn't feel that way to me. Um, they felt very, uh, just the slight bit of elevation from true realism, which is nice. Because that gives us, it's a movie, it's, it's, it's different, it's beautiful to look at, but it's not so far out of the way that it's not a superhero costume, right? It's not Yeah. I, I mean, I think I know what you're getting at. They just like details to them. They're not like they're not look like yeah. they were just they came off the factory floor yesterday, right. and somebody put them on there, and they're shiny and gleamy, and they got glowy shit on them. Yeah, these they're are, not these party are like city worn, direct. Yeah, yeah, these yeah. are worn like functional, uh, you know, uh, suits that they're using. And anybody that has like been in any sort of industrial construction site knows that that's what these things tend to look like, right? Doesn't mean they don't work. Hopefully, they're well taken care of, but you know they get yeah. banged around that's what their entire purpose so anyway so they get these suits which the real suits are about 100 pounds uh and which helps i'm sure it was very difficult but it also helped give the the movements realism right in these because the actors are literally wearing these suits for almost the entire movie uh and having to lug them around so you had this feeling of plotting struggle which it helped the tension and and move the plot along. And also a lot of the scenes are actually filmed with the actors underwater. So even though there are lots of 3D effects in this movie, there's monsters with 3D effects, et cetera, there's also a lot of practical effects and beyond the practical effects uh, of costuming and things, there are the practical effects of the fact that they shot underwater, which works. Like it's like, I enjoyed James Wan's Aquaman. It's one of the few James Wan movies I legitimately enjoyed. Do I think it's a brilliant script? No, but I thought they did neat touches with the underwater element where they had people's hair wavy. They gave the screen a little tint. It was a clever choice that I thought was pleasant to look at, but it is 
that is something that CGI did interestingly, but the actual underwater, the true feeling of being encompassed in liquid and, and the struggle to move, right, that, that we all know from trying to run in the pool, that is so apparent here in such a real way because of those underwater shoots. Um, we also can talk about the blackness, right? Because they're they're at by the end, they're about seven miles under. Like it is pitch black except for flashlights and exploding lights and things like that and so we get them it's a brilliant film uh to watch in this space because how often do we truly see a realistic darkness right we often see fake darkness which is as black as our you know hd or 4k or even 8k screens can give but this is not it's a sort of it's not true black right it's just dark it's so dark and it it there that gradient of light that's a natural realistic finish just it speaks volumes to um our ability to tell something fake for example i i just watched um ant-man and wasp and quantumania marvel's most recent and I, I won't get into it here but uh despite great design and, and and advanced effects whatever it feels like everyone is just standing in front of a green screen which they essentially are and you lose so much investment mentally whereas in a film like this it it relies on you sitting in the tension and feeling that tension the whole way through yep and i feel like this one has it also got to shout out the implosion scenes. Holy crap. Those, I mean, we watched an implosion scene relatively recently when we talked about um, uh, Claire Dennis's uh, movie with Robert Pattinson, also Twilight, um, High Life, right? We see Mia Goth implode. And it's it's very, it's a very short moment, but it's very striking and unsettling. But in this, we get several, and one of them is... Uh, we're right there next to this implosion of a, when a spacesuit cracks and the actor is Mamode uh, Athi, uh, probably butchering his name, but he did a great job. Uh, unfortunately, does the, the script does, or not the script probably, but the film does fall into the um, the one black cast member dies first, which is a bummer. Mm -hmm. But, or not even first, but it is one of those things that just as a as a white audience member, and I'm sure anyone watching an Amer a, a movie, yeah, just be aware of that quiet place Two fell into it as well just just be aware of that guys the the you're it's great when you cast people of color as we should based on you know talent and skill and diversity but also try and give them meaty roles so they're not just fodder um for 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 the the death you know toll of the film but anyway very good scene the imploding was very unsettling very well done um it's not clean. It's not overly graphic, but I mean, it's an implosion would be pretty gruesome. So that was a, that was a nice thing because it's something hopefully none of us will ever actually see in our lifetime. So to see an effect done well, that gives us something like that. That's could this happen? Yes. Will we ever see it? No, that's when special effects shine, right? They give us a true vision of something that, that we will not otherwise see. So let's move into that what Jeff and I were talking about, which is the Lovecraftian element and lore of this movie. Because when I first saw it, of course, I have read multiple times every Lovecraft short story, his essays, um, many of the works that he edited, aka heavily ghost wrote with other authors from his era, the biography, which talks about his troublesome um, uh, racism, uh, for sure. Uh, all these other, I, I'm a very, very big um researcher at this point of hp lovecraft howard phillips lovecraft so i know a lot about lovecraft and the cthulhu mythos as it's referred to uh with his otherworldly cosmic interdimensional creatures of which cthulhu is the most famous the sort of squid-headed giant uh hateful creature of doom that is is locked at the bottom of the ocean well when I first saw this movie, of course, I did think, oh, this is very Lovecraftian because he, the the giant creature that we see at the end has tentacly things. He's huge, you know, bottom of the ocean. Of course, you think Love, Lovecraft and Cthulhu. But 
I think the film actually doesn't rely on that at all, knowing the mythos, but there is certainly an intentional layer of details that speak to the filmmaker's desire to say, but you can also watch this as a Lovecraftian film. Uh, and that's, as Jeff, you were alluding, I think that's where those intro bits and the ending bits, the, the clips of the newspapers, that's the only tangible story element that they do add to. I still agree with you that I don't think they're necessary. Um, but, yeah, I, I, know, I just wish they had been like either omitted or done well. Like that's, sure. that's my thing. Because like, we I, get some elements in the movie itself that are enough. Um, for example, yeah. if you're looking really close, for example, the when at one point in time, almost everyone is gone except for the two ultimate survivors and Nora. Nora is separated and she's at the old shepherd drilling facility and she finds the locker for the captain. And the locker has um, notes on the new proposed drilling site, which is, of course, the, the actual one that she's trying to get to and roebuck and then also has not super easy to see but you can see it there uh lovecraft's a, a recreation of lovecraft's original drawing of cthulhu so it's not it's, it's sort of the perfect placement it's not super obvious but if you think if you if you if you notice it it tells you everything you need to know um that kind of that that's enough right i didn't need the extra mysterious circumstances you know text highlighted like um strange noises you know i think even one is as far as like um claims of of creature or is is pretty is pretty it was pretty heavy-handed in the beginning would you agree yeah i, I well it was I, yeah it was like talking about missing persons and like i think it's, it's specifically they were really leaning into like the corporate cover-up element of yeah. it which yeah. i think i think it was maybe a little bit of a nod to like aliens but like it 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 failed for me to like the the idea that there's like billions and billions of dollars of this like you know diving and deep sea equipment and they're just gonna like you know so so haphazardly the, so... throw all of that away for nothing that's well, that's the part that that, that gets so, me it's like so it's not that's i would say that's an easter egg because uh, the another core element of the, the Cthulhu mythos is that there are members in our society who are cultish followers of Cthulhu, and their entire goal is to un- raise Cthulhu from gotcha. from the deep. So, which is clearly what they're getting at. But this is the problem where. Mm. So I didn't it's get a, that. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know. That, right? yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's a great Easter egg for, for those of us who love Cthulhu mythos, but at the same time, it's presented in such a clear, fa- clear way. Like that's why I think the drawing hidden in the locker works, because if you're not aware of it, you won't even know what it is. Um, yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't change your view. Whereas the text at the beginning, it, everyone sees it. It's your only focus. So it leaves Either someone, you know, it's a 50-50 shot between whether someone's going to get the nod or not get the nod. And because it's just an extra thing, as opposed to necessary for the success of the film itself, I think it's probably should have been left out. Yeah. Um, so th- th- this is like, they should have, uh, there should have been more, ex- they needed more exposition to do it right or mm-hmm. less, just take it out entirely. Because like yeah. I think like for for me like I'm I'm aware of Lovecraft and I'm aware of Cthulhu and I know mm-hmm. some of the mythos I was not aware that there would be maybe people right. like incorporation so that whole thing just didn't make any sense yeah to me agree and so I think for like and and for me I have to know more than ninety percent of people on in terms of Lovecraftian stuff so sure. like that, you're exactly. talking it's like a very such deep a cut small yeah. percentage of people that are gonna make that leap mm-hmm. and otherwise it makes no fucking sense. And, and it's also, and as you suggest, it's not the part of the Cthulhu mythos that has spread beyond the actual Lovecraft readers, right? Because it's not a big monster. It's not yeah. um, the visuals. It's not those pieces that really carry the, the, the heavy interest. So like it is, it is, uh, you know, not unknown, but it's less known. And because it's the first thing we see, it's very jarring. Maybe if it came out, as you said, in tinier increments throughout the, the thing, uh, throughout the script, we would, it wouldn't have drawn so much attention, 
but because it yeah. does draw so much attention it's it's weird like they could have maybe then just had it at the end credits because the end credits you are getting a little bit of info that they survived and etc um there's other touches that are sort of clever nods or or i don't know how clever you think these are but um for example the company's name is tian t-i-a-n where of course people talk about fiction or things created um based off lovecraft's mythos as lovecraftian so that is uh, uh a that's clearly a nod um yeah there's also so this is something i do love about this movie which is that it really fits in all sorts of other film worlds um this could take place in the world of alien right uh it's clearly not and even more than that it's clearly intentional because they actually included the Wayland logo, which is the company that created the androids and, and has creates a lot of the stuff in the alien universe. They, they put the emblem for Wayland on the bandage for the sling that the captain is wearing. Uh, and it's very, I mean, you, you, it, it's just a corporate logo, right? You wouldn't even think about it except for the fact that, you know, you've got movie nerds like me watching it and saying, Oh, because we all started to get the, the, the alien references between the running through corridors, the, the strong female lead, et cetera. And so yeah. that it makes me happy because I do love when I can put a movie that I enjoy with another movie that I enjoy and think, Oh yeah, this is very similar. Like, I feel like these really could be in the same universe. Um, the love. And as far, so as far as the Lovecraft thing, it reminds me of, there's a Joyce Carol Oates short story that I, I think it used to be in a lot of, um, like those anthologies in in high school and stuff that you get like visions or, or vistas or whatever where it was a bunch of different poetry and short stories and things and that was your book for the year um which i don't think they do as much anymore maybe i'm wrong i think they they probably don't but uh it used to be anthologized in those um and i had to look up the name because i couldn't remember the name of the short story but it's called where are you going where have you been and it's a really it's a brilliant story that's very unsettling because it's about a, a woman in the house who this guy shows up at her door, uh, Arnold friend, who is at first seems very like kind and calm, but basically he's trying to get he's trying to get to her. He's trying to get in the house. He's not a, he's he becomes a very terrifying person, and and yet he's very like coy and and sort of cloyingly sweet. Like he he, he man, he's very manipulative. And the big thing is, is that you read the story and the story itself is like, wow, that's really unsettling. It's a, it's a good story because it works to make you uncomfortable and then afraid with somebody who just seems really like bad. You just get the vibe this person is bad without ever, without getting all of the information up front to be like, um, you're bad. I'm away from you. It's like just this feeling. Uh, and then Joyce Carol Oates kind of pushed it farther by 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 the fact that the name Arnold Friend is an uh, anagram for an old fiend, right? Or something along those lines. And it's kind of a reference to Satan. So it's like, that's that extra level, I think, that the Lovecraft element um, that they sort of trying to thread through this movie. It's like, I enjoy that it's there because it is an extra level that for those of us that want to go deeper can can have fun with. But it also is not, that understanding of it is not what the success of the film or in the case of the Oats story, the story hinges on. It's still a well-made film. It's still a well-made story even without that extra layer. So I get that and I appreciate that. I think you're right. There's varying levels of success at, with the most difficult part which is this this weird intro intro element like i would have almost liked just inky blackness deep sea footage sort of uh unclear footage with with some of the credits because they're not that long and then we start with kristen stewart in the bathroom right i think that would have been more effective because if you didn't watch the rest of the movie, if you just watched his opening credits, it could be any number of like early 2000s B movies, right? Like it could have been, um, uh, was it Red Red Earth or, or is it Red Planet? Excuse me. It could have been um, Warlords of Mars. It could have been all of these other sort of 
fun but B-movies, but it's actually, as you said, Jeff, I think a very well-made tense thriller with this yeah. sci-fi horror bend. Okay, so I, of course, have prattled on a million times about this. Um, I also want to mention, <laughs> it's much like Alien, in, is the fact that Kristen Stewart spends good chunks of the movie in her underwear and it is not inherently sexy underwear but and it's not presented she's not sexualized yet i mean of course she looks great i actually think it was i mean she's very thin but um she actually is clearly a physically active person in this which is nice but again it's it's sort of the perfect blending of it is sexy but nobody watching this movie is thinking sexy thoughts because it's very tense. So it sort of takes the sex out of it in a weird way. And we just get a very aesthetically pleasing setup. Um, and I, I always find that fascinating because you could have had her in clothes, but there's, there are narrative effects and or rather atmospheric effects uh, with removing clothes being without clothing, comfortable clothing, like because we all are used to wearing a certain level of clothing every day, all day, is uh, uh, it's it's a trigger for vulnerability. So when you are without normal clothes, most people in our society feel vulnerable, and that translates, which is why um, you know why it was very effective in Alien, and I think effective here as well. We have someone who is in a state of vulnerability, yet they are still kicking ass and not giving up and not laying, which is such a rare thing. Because when we see, there's two reasons we tend to see people in vulnerable states of undress uh, in films, right? They're a victim <laughs> because they're it's a cue that they're vulnerable and they're a victim, or they are uh, it's it's a sexy titillate for titillation. It's it's trying to play with the audience sexually. And those are both bucked by both Sigourney Weaver being without pants in Alien and uh, Kristen Stewart being in her undergarments or active wear here. And so I think it's uh, intentional and effective, but worth understanding why. Because if you were to just say to someone, yeah, it's a movie where they run around uh, running from monsters while things explode and Kristen Stewart's in her underwear for half of it, you would get a very different picture in your mind. At least I would, right? I would think, oh, it's uh, the transporter with an exploding space station and, and, a, and, a, and an attractive lady in her underwear running around being sexy. That's not it, though, right? Uh, so it's, it's also a sign of how in different directorial hands, movies can turn out very differently. Um, but we're in good, we're in good company here. Um, it's interesting that this is not an old movie. It came out in 2020, but the director and the writers have not done a great deal or not a lot of their work has come out since then. And I, I'm not a hundred percent sure why, because I think it was very well done and, and it was relatively well received. Um, but, uh, the director, William Eubank made the signal in 2014, which I think was probably his, his biggest, film uh and then underwater was his his largest film thereafter but then we also have the writers we have brian duffield who did the story and the screenplay uh and adam kazad who also worked on the screenplay and adam kazad has done a, a couple of things wrote uh the legend of tarzan with alexander skarsgård uh after his run on true blood in 2016 and then we had brian duffield i think is probably the most recently known here he wrote the babysitter and its sequel for netflix which was well received a lot of fun love and monsters which was actually a, a great great fun film i wrote uh, a review on that for horrornews.net uh back in 2020 when it came out so good people behind the camera uh is is apparent uh because the movie turned out pretty good i'm going to end before we move on to recommendations and anything else any ending statements with this which i say the general reviews from from critics were good the audiences had i think overall good reviews but also sort of a i think a misidentification of this movie um there's a lot of people that have called this movie a a, a good popcorn or a good b movie that is not for me what this movie is one i love b movies right um i love but a b movie 
it's not just that it has a monster in it. A B movie is called a B movie because that's the the level, right? It is not attaining a, a mainstream quality film in in production or or script, etc. So that's why it's called a B movie. It is the lower tier. It is the um they're the movies that are clearly made for the groundlings, not the uh the high society in 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 the Shakespeare's day. So like to call this, which is actually, I think, a fairly effective taught thriller where characters make smart decisions and don't do stupid things and it's not based on human error scene to scene, uh, is to call it that is weird. Um, it's not what I consider a B-movie. In fact, I don't consider a lot of B-movies legitimately making me tense throughout the process um, because that's a very difficult thing to achieve and it, it requires a very successful movie to do that uh conversely or not conversely but in addition the idea of a popcorn movie popcorn movies suggest that you're eating popcorn you're just having fun the movie's tense it's i i you know especially based on your feelings about confined spaces limited visibility those things are all very are triggers for a lot of people I don't see people who are tense enjoying their popcorn left and right. Those are the movies where you you eat the what you eat during the previews and then when the movie starts you don't touch it until the end and you have this, you know, two-thirds thing left of popcorn. So, I don't really like those descriptors for this movie. I think they're uh incorrect and I think that uh I think people who call it that have not really done the thinking about it. So, so take that random IMDb reviewers. Okay. Let's move on to the recommendations. I recommend this movie. I really like this movie. Um, when it came out, I recommended it to everybody I could. I think that, and Jeff kind of got to this. I think that while you could call it a, a horror movie, while you can call it a science fiction movie, while you can call it a thriller, it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a movie first, right? Its intent is to tell the story in a way that's engaging and really pulls the audience in and makes them feel the the tension and the, the adrenaline that is evolved in this movie and because of that it kind of crosses over genre boundaries in a way that it doesn't it's not required to have a genre label so if you want to watch a good movie that has strong tension and if you don't mind the sight of some really great effects for example just a shout out to that scene where one of the uh the deep ones creatures that come out of uh, the giant Cthulhu-esque monster when it tries to swallow her whole and it does that fish thing where it's like jaw unhinges and it its skin stretches so it's see-through and you can see her inside while it's trying to eat her before she she rips her way out that is that is brilliant that is both biologically smart to to, to make it work that way and also truly unsettling so kudos to them on that but yeah i recommend this movie if you don't like tension if you don't like stressful movies um then yeah you're gonna avoid it uh if you have a terror of underwater and pressure and the bends and things like that this is gonna hit you extra hard uh but i recommend this movie i think it's a solid a solid watch i think it deserves more attention so let's move on uh jeff would you recommend underwater from 2020 with kristen stewart if so why and to who yeah i think it's just a a, a good a good uh, film. They did a good job of uh, setting the mood. Uh, the like, I really love the opening scene where you kind of just are delving real deep. Um, I think they're, they're the one thing that maybe um, you know, like I did read a couple of reviews. It, it is mm -hmm. they, you know, reviewers seem to dislike the fact that it's very similar to Aliens. I feel it stands on its own. Yeah, um, it feels like an homage he, to me a little bit. Yeah, like I feel like even if you've seen Aliens recently, like it doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. And so like, I, I yeah, I don't know. I I'm I I wonder why they disliked it so much. Like if it if you if it's if it's this different, but also um, you know, scratches the same itch. Like, wouldn't it right. be good? Right? Like if you're like comparing yeah. it to one of the best movies. You know, uh, yeah, one of those yeah. well-received films of all time, the first yeah. horror film to actually like break into the you know award, the truly break into the award system. Yeah, I, um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm I'm not like saying like yeah, go like make the same films over again. I'm that's not my sure. thing. But like you know, I I think this is different enough. You got en enough sure. um, interest. I I wonder like like the I wonder if it was set in space, people would have taken it better. 
um because yeah, i don't know the it, underwater thing I, I don't know if it it psychologically hits the same way for people for me it does because like i understand same. all the science of it yeah like i understand like you know even even if you are like underwater that deep like you can't even like you can't just go up quickly right like no, the, just the whole no. concept of the bends and like what happens to your blood and nitrogen in it and all that stuff like people don't understand this so like they don't understand how mm -hmm. dangerous it is to be True. that deep so like i think where space is a much more well defined for us because yeah, of all the tv shows yeah i think people get it but yeah, i think the underwater thing they just maybe can't get there there's like a intellectual element that like you need before you yeah. probably like also like the problem with like you need to know like lovecraft like very specific lovecraftian yeah. horror right. elements to like get some of the stuff that they're talking about i, I yeah i'm like uh yeah so i i would say maybe that that is a problem with the film is it it it, it requires a little bit too much of its audience mm -hmm. um and so for like which is hit, so like, rare a, these days right yeah <laughs> right like so if yeah. you hit like a really wide number of people and like you know critics are you know spending time watching films and not necessarily doing science and stuff you mm -hmm. may you may get like a, a a group of people where this just doesn't hit um but i don't know it worked for me like i i understood yeah. the uh, the the tension immediately and i was into it um fair but yeah if you can't if you can't get there you can't get there like what are you what are you gonna do so it's it's one of those things where i would almost say like required viewing before this um see the abyss from the 80s because that's a movie that deals a lot with with deep sea and they they because it was a novelty at the time right they did have yeah. alien already right they gave some more um explanation throughout it and and that's one of those things you're right i hadn't thought of that because to me I think you're right. I think more people would have probably gone to see it had it been in space. But at the same time, I think the criticism of being derivative would have been. Oh, it would have been a strong. little too on the nose. At and that too point. on the nose. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I, I will say, I think the difference between Alien and this movie is the, in Alien. A great deal of the focus is on the xenomorphs, the aliens, right? Because that's yeah. what is so shocking. Whereas this, it's, it's weird because. being it's more about survival right like yeah really. and being and, deep it's all, like a lot of the problems yes. that they have are just that they're at the bottom right. of the ocean yeah right exactly yeah. you know um so fascinating totally good point mandy would you recommend underwater 2020 uh with Kristen stewart and vincent castle if so why and to who who would it was super fun you guys said like all the things <laughs> <laughs> so, um i actually really enjoyed that there were multiple multiple levels to this movie i mean mm. it's, it is like a pro and a con um i totally missed like what, like the whole beginning thing like with the clips and everything i thought that they were just saying like corporate bad like i had no <laughs> like you know like like all the when they were actually worked. saying corporate ancient evil yeah evil. yeah exactly ancient yeah. evil um so like i I don't know. I thought that maybe they were trying to give us the idea that like corporate wasn't going to help them out. Mm. Like when stuff went bad or like, you know, they were making bad decisions about like the project that they were doing because they were like not environmentally conscious or whatever. Like, I don't know. Um, and like Cthulhu was basically like the second very um, mascot of the college that Jeff and I went to. So I mean, like just by going right. there, like, you Worcester know, Polytechnical um, Institute. Yes. Yeah, it's like, you know, we have the goat or the goat's head and then there's Cthulhu like under it all. Well, and it, and it makes sense, of course, because WPI is in New England and it is very much a, a strong mm, visual parallel to the uh, Arkham uh, Institute, Arkham College, which is the uh, Arkham University, which is the the big research um uh, school and library that is referenced several times in lovecraft and even more so in his sort of later acolytes work so it really makes sense uh yeah, yeah. anyway like just overall i would recommend this and especially recommend this if you think you hate kristen stewart because you right. probably don't um and you'll probably enjoy her performance in this yeah i fell um, in love with her yeah. in this. i was like now now she's one that i look for because <laughs> i actually really really love this performance is sort of how robert pattinson i really didn't like until um until lighthouse 
And I was like, oh, he's a great actor, which lets me, which like, again, goes back to how insanely just terrible Twilight was that all of these people who have this actual skill at their craft were just drugged to the depths of, of, of banal, tedious, unmotivated action and speech that is the entirety of the twilight saga and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to to <laughs> to just dump corpse dirt all over um an entire fandom uh people can like it that's totally fine i like a lot of movies that as we listeners to this pod know uh everyone else on the pod thinks are very bad i get it uh you can enjoy it you're getting something out of it but from a a, a craft perspective Twilight is the worst film that I have ever seen made um, on a on a large scale budget. It's truly that bad. Um, so maybe we'll talk about it in this pod. Maybe we'll we'll have to dive in and and do it. Uh, so anyway, thank you yeah, so anyway, much. Nate, Nate, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say, other than that, like you don't want me like, to mansplain <laughs> over you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was just saying, it's a very well paced film from beginning to end. The plot is laid out at the beginning and is very like understandable, like as far as like what these characters are trying to achieve and physically where they are going. And then they follow the plan. Like, right. How often does that happen? Right. Things get in their way. They get a little bit off track, but like overall, it's just like very direct, understandable, but you still have that tension that you're talking about. It's not because you don't know what's going to happen. It's that you're wondering if it will actually be achieved. And I thought that that was really well done. And you don't see it as much as you should in films no. because it's good storytelling. Yes. And it, <laughs> it doesn't do that. And you, you just said this, which I love. It doesn't rely on that that over that that reactionary human error element you're right you're like the 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 problem is from the outside it's outside elements causing problems and everyone in it is just trying to do what they can to get the best outcome like i always think i i'm one of those people that did not like the movie saving private ryan um i i think it's I like exploitation, but it's exploitation masquerading as brilliance and I don't find it that but there's a scene that I particularly hate, which is uh, well acted, but it's when one of the soldiers is watching is frozen in in like fear and terror and he's watching another of his companions get stabbed to death slowly by an enemy soldier and he's paralyzed and can't do anything about it and I hate that trope. Because one, I don't, I'm not saying it can't happen psychologically, but I'm saying that I don't think it happens as commonly as the whole deer in the headlights thing. I just don't think for an extended period of time, it happens as, as commonly as we say. And this movie, despite having people who are in shock, people who are struggling with the core concept of death, people who are all of these things, these emotions that would come up for so many of us, they don't do there's no woman like screaming i can't running off into the night to get snatched by the monster or you know like uh they're like don't go in there you'll die nobody's running through the force field and being burst into bits like it is they don't have those moments and kudos to them because they showed we don't need it we don't need that for the terror and the tra and the and the tension yeah i feel like the closest that you get is there's like a scene with tj miller and the captain sending him out to like investigate what yeah. is clearly like something that got messed up and like not yeah. survivors to rescue or anything and he's like well this is a dumb idea let's get it done you know like yeah they, um that's about the closest that you get yeah and it's a heroic thing right they're worried that somebody might be alive and yeah. even though it seems very unlikely so it's, it's just a right. you know which feeds back into the the captain's actual like his his true desire right it's not it's it's not for self it's for saving because he couldn't presumably save his daughter so anyway just yeah. fascinating as you suggest multi-leveled film thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Carlton classic films podcast next week we'll be back with part two of wet underpants fish piss uh i am very excited to talk about fish piss uh came out uh 2022 slash 2023 and it is by a good friend of the pod uh janice.click and this one I think is the big deal feature film. Uh, and, and Jeff, you're going to have to watch it. Uh, I, <coughs> I'm coming I think, down. <laughs> I, here's, 
for for listeners who go back go back and listen to the the original or the rebroadcast of the uh shorts episode we did to hear jeff's take on um janice.click short film mcmurderer which tad and i loved above all others and here's the thing crazy you're so crazy so so this so this film i will say jeff just to prep you it is it is a feature, so it's more narratively structured, et cetera. Mm. And it's being called, uh, it's it's being called like I think, the, the opus of the Janice Dot Click this era of filmmaking. So very excited to see it, and uh, we will talk about it. And please, please, please write a review uh, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, YouTube dot com slash Colton Classic Podcast. And also uh, tell your friends. Tell your enemies, tell everyone. This is how we get most of our listeners is through word of mouth. So please share, share, share. Give us all the stars, like and subscribe, all that jazz. And if you, if I mean, if you only do things in exchange for goods and services, I totally understand. Write a review of us and then send us a screenshot to info at cultandclassicfilms.com or our Instagram, which is at cultandclassicpodcast, because I'll send you some swag. I will. I will do it. I am not above that. You deserve it for your hard-earned work. It is hard to write reviews. Trust us. We know we're reviewers. Thank you so much. Play us out as always is the Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me. What's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.